Welcome to First Hamilton CRC Sermon Podcast. My name is Chris Schoon. I serve as the lead pastor here at First Hamilton. We are delighted that you are listening in. We hope and pray that this message will be an encouragement to you as you seek to know and follow Jesus Christ. I invite you to open up your Bibles and turn to the second chapter of Luke. We'll be reading verses 1 to 21. And this can be found on page 1590 of your Pew Bibles. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will, be, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. But Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. 
the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. This is the word of the Lord. By far my favorite movies, because there's three of them, is the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And ever since uh, these movies came out when I was growing up, as elementary school, high school, when, when these movies started to, to come into the theaters, I've, I've been watching them over and over and over again. Sometimes even all in one sitting. <laughs> one time, the extended edition, all in one sitting, which is about 12 hours. And every time I sit down and watch these movies, even though I know the storyline so well, and know the, the lines that the characters say very well and know the characters themselves. Every time I sit down and watch these movies, there's something that hits me in a different way. Something that I hear, something that I see, something that the characters do that I had never noticed before. See, every time I sit down and, and watch the Lord of the Rings movies, no matter how many times I've seen them before, I'm surprised by it in a new way. You know, for Christmas, as a pastor, it's pretty predictable. Luke 2, 90% of the time. And yet this week, as I was, as I was looking at this passage and, and thinking about, you know, what could possibly be new? in this story, there were three things that hit me, that surprised me. Kind of like what, how Pastor Chris shared on Sunday, you know, the tennis ball and the fan moment. That has been there forever, and I had just noticed it. And so there's three things in this text, in this story this morning that I want to share with you about the story. The first is the account. The second is the news. And the third is the response. The account, the news, and the response in this story stood out to me in ways that I had not seen it before. So what do I mean when I say the account of Jesus' birth? Well, in a Jewish culture, the first words in a story are incredibly important. As an oral culture, they passed things down to each generation by telling stories. And so the way that these stories were introduced, the first words of a story were incredibly important. And the words that we see at the beginning of Luke chapter 2, in those days, doesn't get at what the author is saying. This is one of those moments where the original language it has a word that's really difficult to translate into English. You know, the, the, the words in those days can, can make the Christmas story seem a little bit like Frosty the Snowman or the Grinch who stole Christmas. It can, it can make it seem a little bit like fairy tale. But the word in the, in the Greek destroys any idea that this story is fairy tale. The, the word that Luke uses is the Greek word ginomai, which means it happened, it became. It came to be. It's the word that you would use if, you know, if you're going on a, a fishing trip or you're, you're telling a friend about a, a fishing story and you say, you know, the, the fish that I caught last summer was about this big. 
And of course, your friend's going to look at you and say, you know, that, that fish is that's about three or four inches bigger than it was last time you told the story. And then they roll their eyes at you, and then you say to them, no, no, it happened. It happened. It's true. This is exactly what the gospel writer Luke is saying about this story this morning. And actually, this isn't the first time that he's making this claim. The very first chapter, the first verses in this story, in Luke chapter 1, Luke tells us why he's writing his gospel, why he's telling this story of the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And he says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Just as they were handed down by those who from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word, with this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that have been told. And this word, this Greek word, ginomai, it happened, it became happens several times throughout this story where Luke almost reinforces the point again and again. I've talked to people. I've heard them tell this story. It happened. And the account that Luke tells us here in, in chapter 2 is that a baby was born. You know, we can often get caught up in the details of you know, Mary and Joseph making this pilgrimage from, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. There being no room for them in, in the, the guest room of the house, and so they had to have the baby in a manger and, and, and all the details. But the point that Luke is trying to make in this story is that a baby was born. That is the significant part. This week I was struck by a quote by a theologian named J.I. Packer who says this. He says, The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless baby. As a helpless baby. Needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about that, the more staggering it gets. Now, whether you've been a Christian for, for years or if, if this story is something that you, you enter into for the month of December, Christmas is more staggering the longer we think about it. Because as, as, as J.I. Packer says, you know, the, the claim that God, the Almighty, became a baby, the more you think about it, the more it begins to hit you, surprise you. And if it's true, as Luke is claiming it to be, if this is an account of the birth of God becoming a baby, then this is news that, that should send an earthquake through the entire history of the human race. Because the account of the story is one thing, but the news of the story is another. Because if we continue to follow along in the story, we see that shepherds visited or were visited by an angel. Now, whoever here has children, you know that you know, after you have a baby, there's a point in time where you and 
your spouse enjoy that time where, where you just are in complete awe and amazement at what has just happened. But then, then there comes a point in time where you both, you look at each other and you say, okay, who are we going to tell first? Which parents are we going to tell first? Because there comes to a point in time when it's, when it's time to, to share the news and, and to spread the word about what has just happened, the baby that has just been born. And so you spend an hour or two calling your friends, calling your relatives, calling your family and telling them, guess what? We had a baby and all the important things about the weight and, and the, the baby's a boy or a girl and the name and all the things start to flow from that announcement. This is exactly what is going on in Luke chapter 2 when the angel appears to the shepherds and says to them the news, the birth announcement of Jesus, which is this. Do not be afraid, which as a caveat is probably the first thing that you would learn in Angel 101 because every point in the Bible when an angel appears, that's what they lead with. Do not be afraid. And then the angel says this, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now if you were a Jewish shepherd Hearing these words would be literally, and I use that literally, the best words that you had ever heard before. Because as a Jew, you have been, you know, we have been anticipating and longing this day for four weeks. They have been longing and anticipating the birth of Jesus for years. For years. And as a Jew, you were under constant reminder of the fact that God is silent. He hasn't spoken for years and years. And the promised Messiah, the one who is going to deliver you and your people from the oppression of the Romans, is yet to be. Year after year, you would be reminded of this silence through things like Caesar Augustus issuing a decree and making you do something. Go up from your place, uproot your family, and go to Bethlehem. The Roman Empire would be, was an empire that, that told the Jewish people what to think, told the Jewish people how to act. You would have been waiting, longing for the promised Messiah to come and rescue you. And the face of that oppression was Caesar Augustus. And he commonly referred to himself as the Savior of the world, the Son of God, the one who would bring peace on earth. Does that sound familiar? And so what we see here is the birth announcement of Jesus coming at a time and to a people where they're longing for these words, challenging the authority that is over them. A commentator I read this week put it like this, said, the true son of God, the savior of the world, is not almighty Augustus in Rome but an infant lying in a feed trough in the city of David. 
You know, the angel showing up like this and sharing this news with these shepherds would have been like an angel coming to us today and saying, today a Savior is born. He is going to make America great again. Or, maybe a less familiar one, a Savior is born and he is going to bring real change now. This is exactly how the shepherds would have hear, heard this birth announcement. The way that Jesus' birth is announced says to those who are reading, though, that the news of Christmas is different. The news of Christmas is, is that the true source of authority, the true, the savior of the world, the one who is making all things great again, doesn't come through power and authority as we know it, but comes through poverty, is born of a people who had no influence, from a town that is an afterthought. You know, later on in the Gospels, someone responds to learning that Jesus is from Nazareth, Nazareth, saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Not only that, but the news of Jesus' birth was shared with the lowest in society, lowest shepherds, the ones who we would expect this news to come to would be the chief priests, the teachers of the law in Jerusalem, but, but the angel comes to the shepherds. This baby is born to show us that power and influence don't come from wealth and platform, but come from sacrifice and humility. This is how Jesus was born. This is how he lived. He was mistaken by a lot of people. He was rejected by his own community, the people who brought him up. He was misunderstood constantly, sentenced to death in an unjust trial. And die, when he died on the cross, he was almost completely alone. All the people following him abandoned him. Savior of the world, born in humility, teaching us what real power and real change looks like. But the Savior of the world is only half of the birth announcement. It also includes the fact that Jesus, that he is the Messiah, the Lord. One commentator I read this week said that it would have been expected of the angel to say he is the Messiah of the Lord. But when the angel comes to the shepherd, he combines the two. The angel doesn't say, you know, this is the Messiah that has been sent from the Lord. This is the man who's going to save Israel from the hand of the Romans. And he has come in the name of the Lord. No, no, the angel comes and said, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who's going to bring the kingdom of God is the Lord. Anne Voskamp puts it like this, and this quote is in your bulletin this morning, and she says this, at Christmas, God throws open the door of this world and enters as a baby, as the most vulnerable imaginable, because he wants unimaginable intimacy with you. What religion ever had a God who wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability to us? What God ever came so tender that we could touch him, 
so fragile that we could break him, so vulnerable that his bare, beating heart could be hurt. Only the one that loves you to death. Why is there Christmas? Because God loves us. And he wants to have a relationship with us. And so he throws open the door of this world and comes as a baby. And not only that, but he sees it through. You know, the Christmas song that we will sing uh, as one of the two of the song of responses this morning. And I think it's the third verse of What Child Is This? It says this. It says, Nails, spear, shall pierce him through. The cross be born for me, for you. See, that's how far the love of God took him. He wasn't just born. He went to the cross for us. You know, we could rewrite this, this quote by Ann Voskamp and say, you know, what God ever wanted such intimacy with us that he came with such vulnerability? What God ever came so tender that he let us beat him? What God came so fragile that he let us kill him? What God came so vulnerable that his bare beating heart could be broken? Only a God who loves you to death. See, if there was ever a question of how committed God was to saving us, when he throws open the door of this world and comes as a baby, he answers that question. He has been born. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There are three responses in this passage to this story. The first is, when the shepherds tell the people, they can't help, kind of like the Samaritan woman at the well, an encounter with Jesus, when, when that happens, you can't help but share the news with other people. And so they tell everyone what they had seen and what they had heard, and everyone was amazed. That's one. Then Mary, she takes all the things that she's experienced in the whirlwind of her life in the past nine months or 12 months or however long it's been for her since the angel showed up, and she takes them and ponders them in her heart. And then the, the shepherds, when they go back to the fields, they praise God. They sing praises to his name for what they had seen and what they had heard. Three responses but common of everyone in this story is everyone has to respond. God has thrown open the door of this world and he has come in as a baby and he has loved us to the point of death. And now he calls us to respond to his act of love. J.I. Packer, as I said earlier in the sermon, the more we reflect on Christmas, the more staggering it becomes to us. Do we think about this today? Do, do we let the Christmas story shake us in new ways, surprise us again? As we experience year after year the same story, does it drop levels in your heart? Does it become more real to you? Does it draw you closer to God as you sit there and go, what? How could this be? God has thrown open the door of this world and says to us, I know you're broken. I know you're a sinner, but I'm here. I'm with you. 
I've come to save you. Now come and follow me. How are we going to respond to this? Jesus wants to be in a relationship with us and show us what it means to live. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Father God, we thank you for this day where we can gather as your people and celebrate with joy that you've come, that you have fulfilled your promise to send us a Savior. God, we ask that this would strike us in new and fresh ways as we contemplate, as we think in new and fresh ways about what Christmas is about. God, let it be a day that we are more in awe of you and in wonder at your love than we were yesterday. Let it be a day that, that we are more active in seeking to follow you and respond to your active love than the day before. Lord, we ask that you send us your spirit this morning and empower us to to know more deeply the joy that we are able to receive at Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.